Now, as we're going through the book of Nehemiah, we have been focusing on this idea of building the wall around Jerusalem. And as we now take these concepts of building the wall that we see in the book of Nehemiah, now into the new covenant, we realize that it has everything to do with building the kingdom of God. And as we do this, we have been learning some concepts of joy. Because in Nehemiah 8, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we learned that joy and hope are integrally connected. And if the enemy wants to steal your joy, he's going to do it by taking away your hope. That there is nothing in the future for you. God has abandoned you. You can be filled with fear. You can be filled with all of this junk of the world. You can find satisfaction in the world because what's out there? What hope do I have? And so the enemy knows that if he can rob you of hope, he will rob you of this joy and you will become weary in what you are doing day to day. Now, I'm just, I'm going to encourage you, test that. Are there times in your life in which you came to a point in which you would say the enemy had robbed you of hope? And if he has, I'm going to tell you this, he also robbed you of your joy. You felt like throwing the towel in. You felt like giving up. You felt like just saying, no more. I am done with this Christian stuff. I'm going to just tell you right now, many people have walked away from Christ for this very reason. The enemy found a way in to rob them of hope, and their joy was gone. Our hope is in Christ. He is our anchor, church. He is the very king of this kingdom. This is what building the kingdom is all about. It is not about our accomplishments. It is not even about what I had you write down the other week, about that goal, that call that you feel God is calling you to. It is beyond that, because all of that has to do with one thing, and that is the king, the one who sits on the throne to him. We worship. He is worthy of all honor and glory and power and blessing. And I could go on and on as Revelation 5 does. But you know what? He is our focus. He is our hope. If you have any hope whatsoever, I tell you what, Jesus will will end up being the very center of that hope. Just think about that. That's the truth I'm throwing out to you. Every hope that you have, everything, Jesus truly is at the very center of it. And if he is not, it's probably not a hope you want to hold on to. And when our hope then is taken from us, there goes our joy. We encounter now another distraction that the enemy wants to throw at Nehemiah. We're going to read a good portion of it. We're going to spend just a little bit of time. There are three things we're going to look at. We're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at each one. And then we're going to come back to this truth that I want to share with you in an illustration right now. Have you ever um, read one of those puzzles? Uh, We have a box of cards, and it's called Mind Benders. And it's just a, a scene or a question, and you've got it's like a puzzle. You've got to try and figure it out. And so I'm just going to make one up for you, very similar to what they might do. Theirs are more like you got to put on your Sherlock Holmes hat and figure it out like a detective. This one's not quite like that. But if you're over at a friend's house playing in his back porch, playing ping pong, right? And the ping pong, you make a great smash, but the guy hits the ball. It goes up into the air, and it lands into a large stone 
jar, and the mouth of the jar is only about this big, maybe two inches maximum at the most, and it is heavy. You cannot pick it up. The ping pong ball goes inside. Here's the question. How do you get the ping pong ball out? <laughs> Not a hammer. <laughs> okay, remember, it's your friend's house. <laughs> That's their very expensive stone jar, right? There you go. You fill it up with water. It's a ping pong ball. You fill it up with water, and the ball will eventually float to the top, and you pull the ping pong ball out. Now, good luck getting the water out. But the truth is, <laughs> mom and dad come, why is this jar so filled with water? <laughs> Long story, mom. But the truth is, this is called the law of displacement. Here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to not be filled with joy. He doesn't want you to be filled with faith hope or love. He wants you to be filled with other things, negative things, negative emotions. He wants to fill you with these things that we're going to talk about this morning, because if he can fill you with these negative, bad things, your joy rises to the top and it's gone. The enemy has distracted you. The enemy has gotten you off target. Jesus Christ is no longer your focus. All of this stuff and all of these problems are the law of displacement. Let's read this, and let's see if maybe we can see a little bit of these principles as we go through this text. Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to back up to verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. But they were scheming to harm me. Remember, they wanted them to, him, Sanballat wanted Nehemiah to meet with him on the plain of Ono. There's a joke in there somewhere, I'm sure. So I, yeah. so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, church, the fifth time, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. Church, this is like getting old, right? And in his hand was an unsealed letter. Now they focus on the letter. In which was written, here we go, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem, remember this is Sanballat, he's the governor, probably governor of Samaria. And Geshem says, it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. And have been appointed prof and have been and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. That is the king of Persia, the very one who sent Nehemiah. If you can imagine, Xerxes having sent Nehemiah and now feeling betrayed. Oh my goodness, he's going to revolt. What? This is what is going to get back to the king of Persia, Sanballat says. So, come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Notice what he prays for. Strengthen my hands, okay? One day, we're going on to another example here of how the enemy has been attacking Nehemiah. One day, I went to the house of Shimea, son of Deleah, the son of Mehatabel, who was shut in at his house, at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me, that is a governor, a leader of the people, that's his point here. Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he, was, he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. That is, for a political leader to do what only a priest could do, go actually into the temple itself. That was forbidden for a king, or it was only for priests and Levites, okay? <clears throat> and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadia, which at this point we don't know who Noadia is except for prophetess. Something's happened there. And the rest of the prophets. So this isn't just one prophet. Apparently others have been seeking to intimidate him. Noadia and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall, this is the conclusion here, church. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations, they were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done by the help of our God, a leader who stayed focused, empowered by God himself, was able to rally the people and accomplish everything that they needed to. And all of the enemies around, like, they gave up. We're done. Also in those days, so back up before the wall is finished, before the gates are actually set in place. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were spending, excuse me, were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan, get that right, had married the daughter, here we go, had married the daughter of Meshelam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds. His good deeds. That's like bragging on Satan what a good guy he is, right? And then, re and then telling him what I had said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Here in this very first example, I want us to see that, that Tobiah's goal is to fill Nehemiah with this sense of disillusionment. Disillusionment. 
Here he has been working so hard. He sacrificed so much, and, and they're moving towards this goal. And now the possibility, at least in Tobiah's mind, is that Nehemiah, all of his work will come crashing down because word will get back to the king of Persia, the very one who sent him, you sent a man by the name of Nehemiah, and he's betrayed you. That's the essence of what Tobiah is implying in his letter. Word's going to get back to the king. You came here. You had some weird vision, and it was all about you. It was all about the people of Judah rising up in rebellion under a pretext of building the wall. That was the reason why you did this, so that you can stand your ground, revolt against the king of Persia, and start your own little kingdom. That lie has a little bit of truth in it. He did build the wall. He did have intentions to build it, to construct it, do it quickly. But now with the lies coming in, the goal was to have word get back to the king of Persia and then the Persian army, not just the Samaritan army, the Persian army is knocking on their front door. His goal was to intimidate Nehemiah. His goal was to feel as if all of his plans were, were very shortly about to get washed away. He was going to fill him with disillusionment. Have you ever been disillusioned before? Have you ever prayed for something so hard only to find it didn't work out that way at all? I'm going to just tell you this, that if the enemy can successfully fill us with disillusionment, then we are no longer filled with hope. And if you're no longer filled with hope, you will want to give up. And that is exactly what Nehemiah was start. He was afraid was going to happen. Their, the hands of the workers would become weary. His prayer is not shut the mouth of Tobiah. Don't let his influence get back to the king. That wasn't his prayer. His prayer was, God, strengthen my hands. I feel like the enemy is trying to rob me of hope, rob me of joy. Joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Never yield your joy to the enemy. I know I've preached on this before. We're coming back to it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let God fill you with that joy. It, it is so much more than just a day-to-day -day emotion. Why, can, why do you think we can be so filled with joy in the face of trials? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what emotion was he experiencing? The Bible says that he was sorrowful to the point of death. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. On the cross, there was a joy in Jesus' heart. I, I don't understand this. God's joy filled his heart. He wasn't singing some happy song. But there was this joy, and that joy was you. That joy was the very fact that by what he was accomplishing on the cross, he was going to allow you to gain access to him, to gain access into the throne room through him, through the cross, through the blood that he was now shedding on that cross. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who for the joy set before him endured Gethsemane, who for the joy set before him, though he winced as the nails went through his hands and feet, he was able to rejoice in his God. He refused to allow the enemy to fill him with disillusionment, disappointment. Though in the garden, praying fervently, if there is another way, Father, if there is another way, the emotions of him as a man were so real, sorrow, even to the point of death, that we might think that and kind of exaggerate a little bit. Yeah, I'm so sad I'm about to die. Jesus truly was. No exaggeration. I, I don't know what that's like. Because I don't know what it's like to be God come in the flesh and about to sacrifice myself for the sins of the world and have those sins and all of the guilt placed upon me. I have no idea what that would be like. But that was his joy. He refused to allow the enemy to bring disillusionment. Nehemiah, he, he, he doesn't start attacking all, at all of the lies of Sambalat, Tobiah. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, you're wrong here and you're wrong here and you're wrong here. He doesn't get caught up in that. The only thing he says is, you know what, dude, you're just making it up in your head. And he kind of just throws it out there like that. He just brushes it off. In essence, do whatever you feel like you need to do. I know my God is working on our behalf. And if some word gets back, and I'm paraphrasing, if some word gets back to the king, he is not going to respond the way you think he is. We are okay. He just blows that off. No. You know what, church, sometimes we just need to get back to truth, the truth that is in Christ, and just stand firm on that. Stand firm on the truth of his grace. Stand firm on the truth of his unfailing love. Stand firm on the truth that he is going to make a way, regardless of what you can see right now, limited as that is, God has a way out. But I'm just going to let you know, Jesus had to come to this. You'll have to come to it too. Not my will, but yours be done. That is the only way to bar yourself from disillusionment. Not my will, but yours be done. Regardless of what I am praying and how I'm praying and what I'm exactly praying for, not my will, but yours be done. And God's will, church, God's will is so good. So good. That's the truth. So then after this, there is a prophet, and he has been bought, a prophet, a man of God, supposedly, and he's been bought by Tobiah. How deep is this man's pocket? It's as if Tobiah owns everybody. We'll see that in just a moment when, in the next section we're going to look at, but can you imagine if you were Nehemiah? You are supposed to be a man of God. And you're falsely prophesying? And what the enemy wants to do, what the enemy wanted to do for him, 
is for him to be so filled with fear that in being filled with fear, that he would not trust God, but actually sin. He would actually run to the temple, close the temple doors, lock himself inside. Maybe you've heard the term sanctuary, sanctuary. That's the idea, and you're untouchable. Well, I tell you what, church, Nehemiah realized, I don't need to run to a temple to find sanctuary. I will run to my God and find sanctuary in him. I don't need to cling to the horns of the altar as one person did so he wouldn't be killed. I will cling to Jesus. I will cling to my God. He is the one. I will refuse to be filled with anything other than faith because I know whom I have believed and I am anchored in him. You know what? If the devil can fill us with fear and not faith and rob us of that faith... Let's realize that faith, faith isn't simply that God will do something good for you. Church, please listen to this. Faith is not simply that God is going to do something good for you. Faith is that God is good. It's relational. It's not just that he is going to have my my six o'clock, and that he is going to bring to pass everything that I'm hoping for and dreaming for. He will bring about his will through your life if you're as Jesus said, and not my will but yours be done. He is going to do that because he is good. So often, our faith is rocked when we're expecting God to do something good for me. And the truth that we need to be filled with, this faith, is that God is good. Period. God is good. And if God is good, then how will he work on your behalf? He may not work exactly as you're looking for, but God is good. And he has good plans and good intentions, and we are called into that goodness. Faith is relational. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You know, sometimes we can be so filled with fear that ends up displacing faith. We, we try so hard to hold on to what we're afraid of losing. It could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be a thing, it could be a plan. Several years ago, my wife might want to close her ears on this one, but several years ago, um, Kate was born, I don't think Juliana was born yet, and my wife, you know, just several hours a month would watch a little boy, he was probably two, three, three years old maybe, I can't remember exactly, Is, what was his name again? Kyle or Kyle? Yeah, little Kyle. Kyle was all boy, okay? He loved playing with the toads around the complex. We were at Regent University Complex in housing there, and he caught a toad one time. And I, he apparently carried around it around with him in his hand for too long. 
and he was afraid the toad would escape. So guess what he did? He held on to that toad so tight. I remember seeing it in his hand, and I said, what do you have in that hand? And he showed me. And Anyway, let me not get into the description of that. <laughs> Later that day, though, when Kyle was given a sippy cup, and he was supposedly done, they brought the sippy cups, Kate and Kyle, into the kitchen, put it on the counter, and that night when my wife was doing the dishes, pulling the caps off, pulled the cap off of Kyle's, and guess what was inside? <laughs> Let me just put it this way. The toad did not jump out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes, she freaked out. Freaked out. Threw the cup away. I'm sure we burned the trash. We got rid of it. No traces of this toad anywhere on planet Earth. <laughs> Kyle, before he came back the next day, had to wash his hand ten times. <laughs> but the truth is that when we're afraid of losing something, we squeeze it. We hold on to it so tightly. But many times, the Lord has us going through these problems because he doesn't want to do us doing this. He really wants us to do this and just release it to him. Can I ask you, what are you being filled with? Are you being filled with hope? Are you being filled with faith? Faith is relational, and it says, not my will, but yours is be done. And it does this, not this. And then lastly, and I've experienced this last example to some degree, but not to this extent. Can you imagine being a leader? And understand, as a leader, the nobles, they're the, they're the businessmen. They're the ones who are wealthy. They're the ones who have the money. And with money comes power, and therefore they have influence. And it's not just in Jerusalem. It is throughout Judah. You are governor of Judah, Later, the next chapter we read, he places his brother Hananiah as the mayor of, of Jerusalem, but he is the governor of Judah. And Tobiah has been sending your enemy, your sworn enemy, who, who is doing everything to oppose what you are doing and the, in the new covenant, everything that you are standing for about the kingdom of God. That's the enemy. And he has managed to find his way into the hearts of the most influential around you. Would, and you find out about this, would that not make you feel betrayed? And when you feel betrayed, there can be an anger that rises up within you. You want to defend yourself. How dare you? Look, look through the text. Now, I don't know exactly how he handled this, but we did find out in, a pre, in the previous chapter, chapter 5, how he did deal with the, the, the nobles and the officials, the governing officials. And he does not get so angry that he just pounds them with truth. He's actually gracious with them. And he, he, he just kind of does one of these things. Wake up, guys, wh what are you doing to your fellow Jews? 
You're selling them like slaves? This should not be. You're taking advantage of the poor. The poor have now become your business. Don't do this. And the nobles, it said, repented. They basically said, Nehemiah, you are right. Nehemiah was not filled with anger. He was filled with love. He was filled with compassion. Now, it doesn't say exactly how he responded in this section right here in chapter 6, the very end of chapter 6. But we do read earlier, in the very midst of the building of the wall, which this says is that's the time in which this was taking place, all the letters going back and forth, this betrayal behind his back, he, is, he chooses not to be filled with anger, but instead to be filled with love and compassion. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt betrayed before? That is perhaps one of the emotions that runs the deepest of any emotion, this sense of betrayal. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed by the man of sin, Judas Iscariot, but also by one of his closest friends, Peter, denying him. Who, who, Jesus, who is that? I, I don't know who you're talking about. Jesus chose to be filled with love and compassion. On his way to the cross, excuse me, while he's hanging on the cross and people are hurling insults at him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was his response. When he was threatened, when he was um, insulted, he did not retaliate with insults but entrusted himself to the judge. That's what Peter tells us. He didn't lash out. Nowhere do we ever see Nehemiah lashing out. Well, you're wrong and trying to defend his reputation. He simply says, here's the truth, done. Moving on. And that's it. He doesn't go point by point feeling as if he has to defend himself. Can I ask you? The last argument you had with your spouse, what did that look like? Yeah, I'm going to step on toes right now. Because I have done this as well. We're feeling as if we've got to defend ourselves, and we're filled with anger. And when I'm just going to tell you this right now. When you're filled with anger like this, that's defending yourself, you cannot be filled with love and compassion. The law of displacement takes place. And you begin filling, filling yourself up or allowing yourself to be filled up with anger, maybe even resentment. And that flow of Christ's love into your life, like a spigot, just gets shut off. Satan has won. There is only one way that we are ever going to see the kingdom of God built in our day, and that is for the church of Jesus Christ to have one vision, and it is not about my kingdom, but his kingdom. It is, therefore, I must be filled with love, joy. I must be filled, rather, with faith, hope, and love. And if I am filled with these and not allowing all of the attacks of the enemy to fill me with the other junk of the world that will preempt that faith, hope, and love, if I can stay focused on these things at the end of my day, and I can assure you this for yourself, 
the king himself will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And if you think you're experiencing joy on this earth, you wait until then, church. I am living these moments for that moment. I am living now in these few years God gives me, 70, 80, 90, maybe an old man of 100 before he takes me. But I am living for eternity. I want to be filled with faith, hope, and love because if I am not, I am going to allow myself to be filled with the stuff of this world, be distracted, be find my satisfaction in all of this stuff that means nothing. And I've got to come back to this one thing, actually this one person, Jesus. That is who I am living for. Everything else flows from there. Everything. Because this Jesus, whom I'm setting my focus on, had me in mind on the cross. And I was his joy. This failure was a joy to him. That's right. This person addicted and enslaved to sin was his joy, you better believe it. The one who overcame now empowers me to overcome. The lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has overcome the world, it is for that reason and that reason alone that he can now say to all of these seven churches, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to the tree of life. I will allow to sit at my right hand on my throne. Man. We can overcome church, but it's only because he already has. Jesus refused in giving in to the enemy to be filled with anything other than faith, hope, and love. I'm just going to encourage you, wherever you're at today, if you feel like the enemy's kind of pulling you off and distracting you and pulling you into the things of the world, come back. What is, what's the enemy trying to fill you with? Ask God, what's the enemy filling me with? Because if it's not faith, hope, or love, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Amen, church. Can you stand with me? I appreciate Nehemiah. He's a single-focused guy. He experienced raw emotions just like all of us do. But he refused to allow all of that stuff to sidetrack him. He stayed, fo he stayed focused. You know, when, when I'm working with some little kids, maybe with Sarah's little kids, and, and I'm talking with them, and then it's like, squirrel. And, hey, guys, guys, over here. Over here. Okay, guys, focus. And if you're focused on what I'm saying, then that means you're listening and you're not talking. And you know what, church, sometimes I think Jesus just needs to say, hey, guys, focus. Focus. And in that focus, we find only one person, and that's Jesus. Amen. He is our focus. Father, I just pray if, if any of us are being pulled here or there by whatever the world, by whatever the enemy is throwing at us, 
right now, right now, God, call our hearts to you to be focused again on you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. It all flows from that. And I just ask you, Father, whatever we're filled up with from the world, whether it's disillusionment or anger or hurts, I just ask you, Father, would you please fill us with Jesus, with faith, hope, and love. These three. Right now, Father. And I would ask that your spirit minister very specifically and personally to every single one of us right now. That our hearts would be opened, hands open. Not my will, but yours be done, Father, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I just pray blessing and honor upon each person here, Father. Your favor, your grace, immeasurably to be poured out as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray.